So Anna and Claire are no strangers to us as a church. Um, they lead our Eastern Cape Hub with Greg and Wendy Heasley, and they're from our sister church, uh, Everyday People. Joey's in the East Coast congregation, Sia's out of Greenfields, and these two, I just want to honor them in front of you, are planting a church in their very young 50s. Are you both 50 yet? You both, yes, just, just, eh? Just, just. <laughs> and um, I, I just want to say to both of you publicly, thank you for your friendship. Um, I met up with Joe on Friday. He is just flourishing and um, loving being with you on mission with Jesus. And um, if just in terms for both, maybe Claire, would you just take a moment and say one thing that you're thankful for as a family and a church um, for us today that we can just hear um, maybe one, one or two things that you would love to just, uh, we can glorify God together with you. Um, yeah, I think there, thanks everyone, good morning. Um, I think there are so many things to be thankful for, and, and he didn't prep me, so I'm, I'm just uh, thinking um, which one or two. Um, I think the fact that um, people can gather and people from every kind of age and color and profession and whatever can just gather and worship God so freely and beautifully. Um, and, yeah, we see that in our three different congregations in very different expressions, and it's just such a beautiful, wonderful way. Um, and then us family, um, on and I, get to travel, and we get to go to different churches and just to see how there's so many different expressions, but it's all God-glorifying and just so beautiful too, yeah. I sneakily also called you up on stage because I just have a word for both of you, which um, from Acts 4. Um, and it's a moment where God is moving in his early church and people are being spurred to amazing generosity where um, people were selling their homes and their carts and their donkeys so that nobody in the church would lack. And there is a, a guy that sneaks in called Barnabas and I just want to share quickly from Acts chapter 4 for both of you. Um, it says here, There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him. And brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And Anna and Claire, I just sense for both of you, you have the name of encouragement. And you have sold everything for Jesus. Um, what Anna is preaching is in the heart of hearts of both of you for the gospel. And I just want the Lord, I uh, sense the Lord just saying well done to both of you today. As you've laid everything down for him, you've seen the church being fed and, and, and encouraged and blessed and served. And we just want to honor you for that this morning. And I hope you feel greatly encouraged from the Lord's. In that, um, right, so I'm in mouth of me talking. I'm going to hand over to Arno, and we look forward. Thank you, Claire. Come join me down here. Let's give him a welcome. Come on, church. Morning, SBC. Wow, what an incredible privilege to be with you this morning. Ours our together Sundays next week. So it's great. I'm prepping my heart and just the thankfulness and with gratitude. Um, we share a lot of things in common as, as congregations and part of Advance. We share a movement in common. We share, you've shared some um, lead elders and now leading Joan and um, 
Um, Alyssa are doing phenomenally well at the East Coast. They really, really are. Thank you for the gift. We share, we share members in common even, so that's, that's great. Some of you, hi, that's honor again. Um, and we've got some of your guys joining us, so that's all good. Um, and we share an incredible friendship with Matt Marina, and we really do value you guys as friends. And um, yeah, I'm going to go straight at it this morning. If you go turn in your Bibles to Philippians, thank you to the elders for giving me this amazing text. I, I, I think it's a bit of a hospital pass, if I can use, it, use that term. But it's a beautiful, beautiful text. Um, I see why they asked me to do it and not someone next week. Um, Philippians chapter 4. Um, in true South African style, um, I only need one point or t- to make one point this morning. So you'll be very happy. <laughs> you got it. You got it, Sterling. <laughs> I worked hard on that one. So I've got one point. I only need one point, but I'm going to make five. Because <clears throat> my heart can't handle one pointers anymore. Did you see that thing? We beat, what was it, France by one, England by one, New Zealand um, by one point, just to make a point. Um, <laughs> anyway, okay, let's not get distracted. It's so hard this morning. And my phone is buzzing with my, my touchmates texting me about last night. Anyway, so the one point I want to make is that Jesus' church or Jesus' mission has a Sterling Baptist church. Jesus' mission has a Sterling Baptist church in East London, the heart. And the purpose of what Christ has for East London has a sterling, has you as a church in mind. Um, the, the, the letter of Philippians is written to the first society of Jesus in the, in the Eastern European section. This is the church that I'm sure you've had all the introductions, a church facing resistance, facing, facing some persecution for their faith. Despite this, they remain vibrant as a community. And it's incredible if you read the New Testament that despite... Tough times and rough times, the church keeps flourishing. The gospel just keeps bearing fruit. People come to faith and people grow in their amazing faith. And instead of taking a step back, this church just keeps going. And Paul is writing to this church, encouraging them in the midst of trials and tribulations, in the midst of a society that's changing rapidly and almost um, opposing the church. Dallas Willard said this about the church. He says, churches are not the kingdom of God, but a primary and inevitable expression outposts and instrumentalities of the presence of the kingdom amongst us. They are societies of Jesus. Sterling, you are a society of Jesus placed in East London. You are not all of God's kingdom, but you are yet to represent God's kingdom. And the city looks at this, they should see part of that. Christopher Wright, a great New Testament theologian, writes this, the church does not have a mission. The mission of God has a church. Sterling, I want to challenge you this morning. I want to not challenge, but encourage you around the mission of God that God has for you as a church within the city. Sterling's not enough to exist and go, what an amazing city. No, the mission of God gives us purpose and gives us um, value as a church this morning. So let's read this amazing text together from Philippians 4. We're just going to read three verses together. Therefore, my, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and my crown. I receive for my work. What an incredible introduction. What an incre- Imagine receiving a letter like that from Paul. I know some of you are in long-distance relationships, and you're writing a message to, to one another. I'm sure you're getting some of this. Verse 2. Now I appeal to your, your dear and Syntyche, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my, my true partner, to help those two women. They have worked hard with me in telling others the good news, the gospel. They worked along sorry, Clement and the rest of the, my co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. What an incredible text for this morning. 
Let's pray together. Why don't we bring our hearts before God's word and ask him to do business in us. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, thank you that you quicken God's word to us. Thank you that you make it alive to us. Thank you that all of Scripture is good and beneficial to us, that, that exalts and encourages us, but also challenges us. Lord, would you, would you do all your work through your word this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to chat this morning to you around the church on mission. As I said, Jesus' mission has a Sterling Baptist church. The first point we read, and we're just going to work through the text slowly, if you don't mind, and we're going to grab highlights from it. The first point that we want to make is that a church on mission is deeply loved. Philippians, therefore, dear brothers and sisters, listen to the language. He's speaking to them as if they are family. In your Bibles, it might say brothers. In the New Testament, what you need to realize is when they wrote letters to, to churches, they wrote to, if it's brothers, it includes brothers. It could be just men or men and women. If it was to only a woman's gathering, it would be sisters. So every time in the New Testament we see a letter addressed to brothers, you can assume that it's written to brothers and sisters. So people that are writing um, dear brothers and sisters or Bible translations, they're not trying to be woke or, 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 or kind of cool. They're actually just trying to be biblical. Dear brothers and sisters, the language is family. Stay true to the Lord. I love you. This is Paul writing to them from prison. I love you and I long to see you. Can you hear the language here of the love that the church has for another, the love that Paul has for this church? Dear friends, for you are my joy and my crown I received for my work. The gospel always moves from an indicative to imperative. What do I mean by that? The, the gospel first is, and most importantly is concerned with who we are before the gospel tells us what we should do. It's before Paul launches into the rest of the letter in this chapter, he actually wants to know and he wants the church to know you are loved. You are brothers and sisters. I love you. I, I, you are my joy and my pride. You are my crown. I love you. The, the message he wants the church to walk out with is I love you. I have a deep love for you. The church of Christ is called to love one another. We are, we are meant to live in that love. No other way around. If we go the other way around, if, if Paul started, started this, 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 this letter by, by giving all the, all the imperatives, then we'd walk away with, let's do, let's do. Then we end up with religion. Religion says, do first before you belong. The gospel says you belong, and then you get to change your behaviors and your life. That's how the gospel works. Get it the wrong way around, and we, we end up with religion that goes and takes us nowhere. But he uses the word beloved twice in this passage. He begins, my beloved brothers and sisters, and then ends, and at the end he puts it into the same phrase, my beloved friends, in chapter 4, verse 1. Paul has great intellectual capacity. He's a very wise guy. He's a great leader. But yet he shows incredible tenderness here. Isn't that an example for us? We can, sometimes we can, as Christians, have all the right answers and all the right arguments, but we can sometimes lack the tenderness and the grace and the love that goes with those arguments. Paul shows and models that he can, he can be very, very wise and very clear as a leader, but he can also be very, very tender. Francis Schaeffer wrote this about the church. He says, one cannot explain the explosive dynamite or dynamis of the early church apart from the fact that they practiced two things simultaneously, orthodox Orthodoxy in doctrine and orthodoxy of community in the midst of the visible church, a community which the world could see. By the grace of God, therefore, the church must be known simultaneously for its purity of doctrine and its reality of community. Our churches have so often been only preaching points with very little emphasis on community, but ex exhibitation of, sorry, but ex exhibitation of the love of, the, of God in, in practice is beautiful and must be there. What is Schaefer saying to us is we have to have clear doctrine as a church. 
We have to be clear on the gospel. We must be clear of what the gospel is and what the gospel is not. But he said, we can't just have doctrine. We have to have community. What's that love? We have to show an incredible love for each other. It's not good enough just to have right doctrine. He's saying, no, 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 the, the church has to box where it's, um, if we don't do this, the, have you ever seen a boxer try, try to fight a fight with one hand behind his back? When the church is all doctrine and no, and no, no grace or no community or no love, it comes across as harsh, doesn't it? It's, it's not an, a wonderful environment to live in if all you're hearing is what's right and what's wrong. No, there has to be community and there has to be grace to it. But if a church goes all grace and all community and it goes soft on doctrine, it just becomes a meh. Like we don't stand for much. We don't believe in much. Anybody's welcome. We never challenge. We never, we never grow as a people. No, Paul, as Paul Schaefer is saying in Scripture, says that we box with both hands. As a church, Sterling, we get to box with both hands. We can be strong on doctrine, but we can be strong on community. We want, to, we want both doctrine and community in us. And Paul is contending for this kind of community. Saying just because you've got the gospel and you know what the clarity of the gospel is, we still get to be friends. We still get to use brother and sister language. We get to have a deep love for each other. Maybe you don't think of church like that. Maybe for you, church is something that, that, that you've grown up with and it's, it's I'll go to hear God's word and be challenged and walk out. Paul's contending for a lot more here. Paul's contending for a deep brotherly and sisterly love for one another. And you and I know that doesn't come easily. It means that there's some stuff that's gone on or stuff that's happened that we've had to forgive and forgive others for and from. The second point that Paul makes in the text is uh, a church on mission keeps the gospel central to, to it is. What is what's interesting here is Paul says, stay true to the Lord. He says, hey, stay true to the gospel. Who is the Lord? Jesus Christ. What is the, 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 the doctrine of Jesus? Is the gospel. He says, stay true to the gospel in your lives. Stay true to, the go to God. We do this corporately and personally. This is not just a corporate mission of sterling. It's actually, no, I get personally to keep Christ and stay true to Christ. You're going, oh, of course we do honor. That's an easy one. They have many enemies in Philippi, and, are, and they're facing opposition from all kinds of places. But yet he's still asking to stay true. Stay faithful to the Lord. In other words, don't allow trials and persecutions to move you off Christ. When you're going through a tough time, church, don't allow you to step, don't step off away from the gospel. Stay rooted in Christ. And we can take that for granted that the church would remain like that. Or that Christ followers would remain rooted in Christ. If it was so, Paul wouldn't have to say that. Paul is saying these words to the church because he recognizes some of them are starting to question, should I stay rooted in Christ? Should I stay faithful to this church or to, to what Christ has called me to? We often struggle to see God and when we, we, we struggle to see God moving in our lives, the first thing we do is try, we tend to walk away from it. Martin Luther says, we need a reminder of the gospel every day because we forget the gospel every day. There's something in human nature that when God goes seemingly quiet or doesn't answer prayers for, for a time in our lives, that we move away from him. We forget who he is. The enemy comes to tempt us in all kinds of ways. We're tempted to look for another savior. Paul is recognizing that even this beautiful church whom he deeply loves has the, 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 the tendency possibly, the possibility that they could wander away from Jesus. And he's saying, stay faithful to Jesus, especially when it's tough, personally and corporately. Sterling corporately, when, when, it's, when you go through it, I want to say, stay faithful to the gospel. Just stay faithful and trust him. Individually, Brothers and sisters, if, you, if your life is going through a really hard and tough time, 
Stay faithful to Jesus. Keep trusting him. Keep going to him. There's three things that we as human beings crave. Security, happiness, and identity. Isn't it? Those are things that we, we love to have. We want to know that our future is secure. And when it's not secure, fear and frustration and uncertainty, do we still trust Christ when we're not sure of our security as a person? Our happiness, when we're discontent with our portion, when we think God could be doing more, could be giving us more, do we still go to Jesus with our discontentment and go, Lord, I'm content in you and you alone? Our identity, when we're feeling insecure or we're lost within ourselves, searching for our identity as sons and daughters, where do we go to fill our identity? Can you see how easy, when security is ripped, how we go somewhere else for our security other than, than Christ as a, in my personal capacity? My happiness, when life could be better somewhere else, surely. Hey, stay, stay focused, stay faithful to Christ. When I don't know who I am or I'm insecure in who I am, and I'm not confident who God has made me, do I go to Jesus or do I go, do I go somewhere else? Do I go to my career to give me my identity? Do I go to my, 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 my relationship status as my identity? Or do I find my identity in Christ and I'm settled in Christ and going, Jesus, you are genuinely enough for me. Whether I'm single, married, whether, whether I have children, whether I don't have children, whether I'm successful at work or not, hey, I'm secure in you. Can you see how we wander away from Jesus towards those when, when we don't have those things in our lives? So then, and in this way, it refers back to the end of chapter 3, where he speaks of those expectations coming, the coming of Christ, saying, until Christ comes, stay faithful to what he's called us to. The third point is a very interesting one. And it's in the text. And this is when I read this, I went, wow, Matt, thank you. Not thank you. Um, now I appeal to you, your dear and Sintiki, please, because, of, because you belong to the Lord, settle your differences. A church on mission sets aside personal differences. A church with a clear mission, understanding its mission, sets aside its personal differences. Imagine the scene. In these days, letters did not come by email or WhatsApp. It took days, if not months, to come. So Epaphroditus delivers a, a goodies bag to Paul in prison, saying, we love you, we haven't forgotten about you. And while he's there, he's giving Paul a bit of feedback as to what's happening at the church. And while he's giving that, Paul is writing and penning a, a letter. So obviously, Epaphroditus, hanging with Paul for a few days, he shares, these these two ladies in the church, faithful ladies, committed ladies, that served the church for many, many months and years. But there's a disagreement amongst them. And then he writes, pens a letter, he sends it in with Epaphroditus to the church, and then the church gathers. Paul wrote us a letter, and the whole church would gather like a Sunday like this, and no one has read the letter yet. They're all sitting in church, and the, the leader of the church in Philippi opens the letter and starts reading. Oh, all's going well. Chapter 1, chapter 3, page 3, page 4. Hi, Nikki and Debbie. Would you sort your differences out for the sake of the gospel? Can you imagine if that happened on a Sunday? Guys, I don't think that's what we, they taught us at Bible College and how we grow churches. We don't name and shame people from the front. But in this passage, literally, they would be sitting in a church, they would read a letter, and before anybody knew it, their names were read out loud. In a church meeting. Can you imagine what that would do on a Sunday? Here we see as much as Paul starts the letter or this chapter with the feelings of love and tenderness, he also goes for strong unity. He says just loving isn't enough. We're going to contend for unity too. 
We're not just going to love and pretend that nothing's different or we don't have our differences. No, a real loving and secure relationship actually allows that they, when there are differences, we sort them out for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the mission that Christ has called us to. That's what holds the church and holds our people together. But there's something needed here that Paul recognizes needs to be addressed in this. It's surprising that Paul draws attention to these two individuals, don't you? If you read this chapter, you're going, what? What just happened here? Or you're going, this must have been a massive disagreement. It's interesting, Paul doesn't go into the nitty-gritty of what the disagreement was. It sounds like it was a disagreement that these two key ladies in the church had with one another for quite some time. Now, I don't know. It could have been that they were disagreeing about whether uh, a JPEG should be in landscape or portrait. I don't know how significant the disagreement was. But it was significant enough that Epaphroditus would share that with Paul. So let's go. It's a little bit bigger than landscape and portrait. But what we also see is that Paul doesn't take sides in this. He puts on both the responsibility to reconcile and to sort their differences out. He doesn't go, hey, you're right, you're wrong. He's not acting judge and, and juror over here. He's saying, no, 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 you need to sort this out yourselves. He uses the word, I urge you. It's a gentle word. It's not a, I command you. He's saying, I urge you, I beseech you, I entreat you, it's I invite you. I love this about Paul. He's not saying, I am Paul, the great apostle. I command you, you will sort out your differences other else. No, no, no. He doesn't use that language in anything that he says here. He models this beautiful grace, but also in strength in how he does this. Six little lessons, if you want to quickly, I'm just going to shoot through them quickly. For leaders, um, for the leaders at Philippi, we must see the problem settled, and he, and he does this in the beautiful ways. And six lessons we learn in how Paul deals with this disagreement. Firstly, he, direct, he directs or directly deals with the issue. He doesn't talk to someone else. He goes straight to the issue, saying, hey, this is the issue. Secondly, he couches it in love and in affection. He identifies with them. You are part of me. He's just called them brothers and sisters. He just said, I love you. I long to be with you. And then he corrects them. So there's a couching in love and in affection towards them. He sends them back with, Thus stands firm. No, no, no. He invites them into that. And he points to the Lordship of Jesus. saying, because you belong to the Lord, because you are a Christ follower, I can ask you to set aside your differences. Isn't that an incredible motive or reason why we should lay down our personal preferences? Do we drink Mika coffee or Davi Echbert? I don't know how big it is at Sterling, whether that's a debate or not. In other churches, I won't mention names. It's a serious debate and worth, worth raising a lot of money for. And he uses the language of entreat, like I said earlier. It's not a command, but it's a coming alongside. Hey, come, I want to I walk with you. Let's settle our differences here together. Fifthly, he says, because you are in the Lord. Agree because you're in the Lord. He's not questioning the status in Christ. He's not saying if you don't agree or set apart, you, you don't long belong. No, he says you belong to Christ. He secures them in the relationship of Christ. And lastly, Paul identifies them, and he doesn't distance himself from them. He says, I belong to you. He mentions their names. I just look at this, I'm going, wow, Lord, that's a very secure, mature church to do that, to mention names, to call them to this. There's a lot going on here, and we see how he does that. A church on mission settles its personal differences. And uh, he is now very old. An old Enke Dwemni once told us a story about church, a church on mission. And he used the story of um, inting, uh, sorry, English hunting dogs. I don't know if you ever been to like a, a fox hunt in England or you've seen it in a movie. Maybe there's a, a, a famous movie or you've seen it on, 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 on um, documentaries where the English, um, the wealthy English would arrive on their horsebacks and every hunter would come with um, five or ten beagles or hounds or bloodhounds 
and they'd be wanting to go hunting, and they'd arrive at, a, at the, the host of the hunt's farm, and in the courtyard, all the dogs would gather with the owners, etc. They're going on a fox hunt. I don't know if anybody kind of seen something, know about it, hear about it. I mean, they used to do it in Stadtraum. I was um, married to a stud farmer's girl, and they used to have a hunting season every year, and they would chase dogs, would chase, go chasing for bushbuck, for bolton. Um And so what they would do is they'd get in the courtyard, and before the hunt would start, the dogs would absolutely be yapping and biting at each other. It would be chaos. It would be chaos in the courtyard, noise, bickering, biting, fights going on, etc. And then one of the, the guy leading the hunt would blow on his bugle, I think it's a bugle or a trumpet, and they would all charge, and they would charge into the forest, yapping at each other, fighting, chaos. Just imagine Nuhun Beach on a Sunday afternoon with a thousand dogs going crazy, and the owners don't know what to do. Then the first dog smells and picks up the scent of the fox. And these hounds have a special bark or a howl when they pick up the scent of a fox. Did you know that? National Geographic's in church. And so they would have a specific howl that they would only howl when they picked up the scent of a fox. So the first hound would howl, and every other dog would stop their biting, bickering, fighting chaos, point their noses into the direction of the one that howled, and start pursuing the fox. And all the fighting, disagreements, and all the nonsense settled, and they all start charging after the fox. And this Enfield Germany challenged church leaders decades ago and said, when the church picks up the scent of the lost, it will sort out all its differences. What coffee we drink on a Sunday doesn't matter anymore. With our JPEGs in landscape or portrait, doesn't really matter. Whether our seats have cushions or no cushions, doesn't matter. What songs we sing at worship, how long worship is, seems to kind of count less. Because we're actually pursuing the lost. It's a picture for the church, isn't it? Sterling, I want to say to you, your, your unity, your togetherness, your ability to show grace to each other depends on not losing the scent of the lost in East London. There are many people that don't know Christ in the city that needs a sterling, that needs an everyday people that is able to set aside its differences and get on the mission that Christ has called us to. And we do that. When we do that, we pick up the scent. And God gives us the scent of the lost. Just think of your friends that don't know Jesus. Maybe they're playing playing sport with you. Maybe they're at work. Maybe they're in your family. We are living amongst a city that don't know, doesn't know Christ. Many folk amongst us. And one of the grace gifts to the church is the scent of the lost. And I pray for you as a church that God will give you that scent again. Or a heart that goes, hey Lord, this is why we're here. Jesus' mission, you've got us here. The last two points. Sorry. A church on mission labors together. And I asked my true partner, and then he uses the word, they worked along or labored together, is another version of the Bible. Perhaps the example here is um, of a modern family. I don't know how you grew up in our family. Our family would have a meal. We really fought hard for dinner time or supper. Which is dinner in England and Wales is tea, lunchtime. Supper is another meal. But in Afrikaans or South Africa, supper is dinner. It's like the last meal of the day. Okay. So we would fight for dinner time where all the family would sit and have a meal together. I mean, in our family, I'm not sure how modern families work today. Um, we would have a meal together. We all eat together. And then what we would happen is one of the, we had three kids, three teenagers, etc. And we used to have this saying, and then one of the kids would just get up from the dining room table, like leave their plates and their dishes and just 
off to the bedroom and like go do whatever they need to do. It never ha I know it never happens in your homes, but in my home, that kind of tended to happen. And it's not just teenagers, it's kind of it's something that happened from young to old. Still happens to the day, and all our kids are, like our youngest is 24. Um, so, wish to have the saying, do you think you're at the spur? To our kids. And they would know exactly what we meant. It meant, hey, there's no waiter that you're going to tip. There's no chef in the back. You're it. <laughs> you're going to help clean up, or you're going to set up, or you're going to wash dishes, or you're going to load the dishwasher. But you're part of this deal. You're not here paying the bills and watching from the outside. Church, we are a family. We're not a restaurant. Sterling, you're a family. God calls us to labor and work together. It's wonderful. I arrived early this morning, and I saw the amount of volunteers that were ready to greet us, setting up sounds, setting up the, the projections, setting up the kids, getting ready for these things. Don't lose the heart that we all get to serve together. This is not the spur. <laughs> this is actually a family meal together. When we gather on a Sunday, this is family gathering. We all get to play. We all get to do our little bits. I hope that resonates in some ways. The New Testament word fellowship. I don't know, sometimes fellowship can be a really, really soft, easy, cushy word. Hey, like let's just fellowship together. Um, I don't know. I don't use it a lot. I don't know if modern language, I don't know of many modern people that will say, hey, let's go fellowship together. I would never say to one of my touch rugby mates, hey, do you want to fellowship together? Like, the oak is going to look at me going, hmm, oh no, you do that? Like, I don't know, I'm going to go Google what that means to fellowship. But let's hang together or fellowship. In the New Testament, fellowship is a very powerful word. It's not a, a weird, soft, cushy word. It's actually a strong word. And this is what fellowship meant. And the best way to do it is to illustrate what the word fellowship means. It means Matt and I go by, in those days, fishing was a big deal. So Matt and I would go buy a boat together and go, we're going to start a fishing business. Son of John, Matthew, and Arno, we're going to buy a fishing boat together, and we're going to start a fishing business. We're going to go, we're going to labor, we're going to pay for it, we are going to get into the boat, we're going to row out together, we're going to put the net together, we're going to put the net out together, and we're going to wait. And while we're out fishing and laboring and catching fish together, we become friends on the boat, waiting, fishing together. And that word is fellowship. While we're on mission together, while we're laboring together, we become friends. See, fellowship, just for the sake of fellowship, anybody can do that. No, but the church, when the, the church calls to fellowship, it's while we're doing something together, we become friends. Matt and I didn't just walk down Oxford Street, if you still walk there, or wherever you want to walk today, and go, oh, nice guy, I want to be friends. No, we became friends because we led churches together in the city. We were part of some, some common ground. We had some common ground in what we believed in the kind of churches that we feel God calling us to. And while we were working and encouraging each other in church life, we became friends. Not so Matt. I'm not saying I wouldn't become friends. I'm just saying there's a, there's a, there's a way. I often say to everyday people, we don't say this too often because some people feel sensitive about it. I, I would say to them, some of you are in church, and if it wasn't for church and Jesus, I would not be your friend. And people go, what? You're a pastor. You must want to be friends with everybody. No. Like, I, I'm sorry. There's some of you, we have just very little in common. And then God starts adding guys to our eldership team. Guys that don't eat steak. Guys that don't watch rugby. Guys, guys that eat, like, honestly, like, guys that listen to jazz. Um, like, like, right now, right now, I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm just, this is me. This is, oh, we've got my birthday lands on a concert where two guys are playing a piano for the whole evening in a life group. And they're saying, oh, no, please come. I'm going, 
Claire, please do not sign us up to go listen to two guys playing a piano for like four hours on my birthday. You love me. Leave me at home with a steak. I'm happy. Like, just leave me. I'm okay. See, church, we're not just here because we all get on and we've got the same stuff in common. Just look around you. There are people here that if it wasn't for Jesus, you would not be in the church together. That's the reality of the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful gospel. But it doesn't just end there. The gospel is not just let's all become friends. The gospel is also, hey, let's labor together. Let's give ourselves to something that's worthwhile. I love Sia. You listen to those guys talk. This is not just about the box winning and going, we're champions. No, we're doing this for a bigger cause. There's a purpose to this. There's a purpose to why we do what we do. Church, there's a purpose to fellowship. There's a purpose to Sundays. There's a, there's a purpose to singing together. There's a purpose to, to serving our children. There's a purpose to, to everything we do as a church. And it has to be around the gospel. It has because Jesus had this idea that the best thing he could do for Islam and to, to, to meet him, see him, and, and be exposed to him is to have churches. Ephesians speaks of it. This is God. God has a secret that he holds close to his chest. And when the world says, God, what are you doing on planet Earth? God opens his, his cards, his cards from his chest. He goes, I'm building a church. I'm planting churches. Go look at the church. That's what I'm doing on planet Earth. I hope that inspires you a little bit. And the last thing, am I doing okay with time, Matt? I've got five minutes. So is it good? Last point, number five. A church on mission keeps eternity in sight. I love how Paul does this in the introduction. He does all this work, and then he goes, whose names are written in the book of life. There is an incredible security in this family. They know that this is not just for now, this is for eternity. What does it mean? It's, he skillfully sets their eyes on eternity. Temporary things won't cut it. Temporary things don't last forever. We can't build our lives on temporary things because they're not going to last forever. They don't, nothing lasts forever. In a month or two or three from now, in a year from now, we will not have this feeling of euphoria around the box winning a World Cup. We'll start panicking about who's going to coach and whether we have a chance to win the next one. Isn't that true? That's what happens in human nature. We just move on quickly from these big wins, and then we start worrying about who's taking over from the next coach or what the next win looks. And as human beings, we have this, this an ability to become discontent very, very quickly, don't we? And Paul goes, I know that's, Paul goes, I know that's true, but keep your eyes on eternity. That's what matters, is that you are part of heaven. Your name is written in the, na- in the Lamb's book of life. In 2 Corinthians 4 verse 17, I'm just got two texts and three little things that helps us around eternity to land with. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 to 18. For our light and momentary troubles, can I just say that to you? Whatever trouble you're in right now, in view and in light of eternity, it's light and it's temporary. It's momentary troubles. Are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Sterling, let's lift our eyes. What are we doing at Sterling? Let's lift our eyes. Do you see what God is doing through you in his London matters into eternity? And whatever trouble you're going through personally or as a church, it is light and momentary compared to what is coming our way. It is nothing compared to the glory that is coming in eternity. And there's three reasons why, and, and one, sorry, 1 Peter 5, verse 10, before the poor um, pro- projection person loses me. 1 Peter 5, verse 10, and the God of all grace, 
who called you to this eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered, what's the word there? A little while. For some of you, that does not feel like a little while. Can I just be honest and say that I get that? For some of us, the suffering does not feel like it's just a little while. But how do we endure long seasons of suffering and persecution as churches? Paul's going, Peter, writes to Peter, he says, for a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. I hope that encourages you personally. That in view of eternity, this is just a little while. There is an eternity that I cannot measure coming. And there's three ways that, it, that this helps the church. The first is it helps us put our current struggles into perspective, doesn't it? We go, oh, this, I thought this was massive. No, 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 eternity is bigger. The glory that's coming is bigger. This is only a little while. And I know you don't want to use it as a pastor. You don't want to tell someone that is suffering over a long time, hey, don't worry, this is just a short little thing. No, no, it's hard in those seasons. Paul knows it, and he, he's, not, he's not oblivious or, or unkind towards it. Secondly, it gives us hope for the future. Our hope is not just in Jesus answering our prayers right now. Is someone trying to get in? They might as well just break through the ceiling. Oh, is it the monitor? Sorry, my bad. It gives us hope for the future. And thirdly, it helps us to live our lives in a way that's pleasing to God. How do I live a life pleasing to God? By remembering that what I'm doing now with my life matters into eternity. Hey, Syntyche, Eunice, Yodia, sorry, my bad. If there's a Eunice here, please forgive me. Sort out your little differences. Why? Because it matters into eternity. You belong to Jesus. That's settled. It's you secure. Hey, but there's something bigger that we're contending for. Can I pray for us? Jesus, we are just so thankful for your word. Thank you for your scripture. Thank you for, thank you, Jesus, that your mission and your in your sovereignty and your bigness, you before the the foundations of this this earth was laid, that you in your mind had Sterling Baptist Church in mind as a strategy, as a way of showing your grace and your mercy to East London, to many people that don't know Christ. That you, the best plan that you could come up with is to have churches in cities, and I. I want to bless you for Sterling. Lord, I pray for, for this church. I pray that you would, you would renew the scent of the lost in our, in our hearts, in our, in our noses, Father God, that we would understand the big why that you've got us, but that we won't forget that we are so loved by you. That you firstly call us loved ones, beloved, before you give us any instruction. That, our, that we are secure in you, that our names are written in the, in the Lamb's Book of Life, Lord. No one's going to erase our name from that. We thank you, Lord Jesus. I pray for a grace over Sterling, Lord Jesus, as, as I give thanks today for what you have done, that we would give thanks for what you are going to do to us as a church. In Jesus' name, amen.